0: The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. and it do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. One day some people came to Jesus with a question. It's not an exact quote, but basically, they wanted to know, why don't you do religion the way we expect people to do religion? And this is part of the answer that Jesus gives. He tells a parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new garment Won't match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And it's not in the text, but I think that there's an implied sigh right here. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Every now and then, I hear someone say, I don't really like organized religion. It's a fairly common phrase. Maybe you've heard it said yourself. (laughs) Maybe you've even said it. Here's the thing. Nobody likes organized religion. (laughs) If people are talking about organized religion, they're always talking about something they don't like. This isn't a phrase that people use to express affection. Have you guys ever used Google? (laughs) Well, then you know how Google anticipates your question. As you start typing, it draws upon its vast artificial wisdom to make an educated guess about how your sentence will end. What do you think happens if you go to Google and start typing, organized religion is? Google knows that this expression is going to end in contempt. I tried it out. I went to Google, (laughs) and I typed, Organized religion is, here's how Google auto-completed that phrase. Organized religion is a crutch for the weak. (laughs) Organized religion is a sham. And Google's number one suggestion, organized religion is the root of all evil. Google knows. It knows. No one who types organized religion into the search bar is looking for a happy ending. Nobody likes organized religion. Seriously, I'm pretty sure I could start an organization called Pastors and Church Officials Against Organized Religion and it would go viral. Because nobody likes organized religion. So why do we say this? Why do we state the obvious? If we're against something that everyone is against, then why bother printing up t-shirts? Why draw a line if everyone is on the same side of the line? Let's think about this a little more carefully. Let's be precise. If we're against organized religion, what is it exactly that we're against? Are we against being organized? There is some data to support this conclusion. (laughs) If you're in a group of Quakers and someone says, I don't really like organized religion, it's almost certain that one of the Quakers will enthuse, Oh, we're not organized at all! (laughs) This is usually followed by some awkward laughter and pained expressions around the room. As Quakers, we want to believe that organized religion is something that happens to mainstream religion. We take humble Quaker pride in being outside the mainstream. We want people to know that we are different. We also know that our organizational model is far from streamlined. We take a long time to make decisions. We struggle, we really do struggle to get organized. As Quakers, we look at the Mennonites and we marvel at their slick, machine-like efficiency. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if we could avoid the stigma of organized religion by being disorganized. Although we want this to be true, it's not. On multiple occasions when the hobgoblin of organized religion rears its ugly head, I've heard Quakers say, oh, we're not organized at all. But I've never heard anyone respond, what? You're actually disorganized? Perfect, that's just what I'm looking for in a religion being disorganized is not particularly attractive to our neighbors. But it is less effective. At least sometimes when people say they're against organized religion, I think they're letting us know that they're willing to tolerate the existence of religious people. But they don't want us to get organized. They don't want us trying to make our presence felt in the real world. To most of our neighbors, organized religion looks like someone on the Christian Broadcasting Network telling storm-ravaged survivors that they have brought God's wrath onto themselves. It looks like people from a different time zone holding hateful signs at a soldier's funeral. It looks like a ban on textbooks and witches being burned at the stake. Organized religion hurts people and calls it God's will. If I'm right, then the problem isn't organized religion. The real problem is hurtful religion. When it's organized, it's just more effective at causing harm. Instead of drawing a line between organized and disorganized religion, we should draw a line against abusive and bullying religion. Religious bullies rarely see themselves as bullies. Rather, they see themselves as defending something of great value. When religion gets defensive, it starts to see threats everywhere. It gathers power to protect itself. It builds walls. It condemns, it shuns, maybe it even kills people to protect itself. In the Gospel of John, the chief priests and the Pharisees all get together for a big meeting. Together, they identify that Jesus is a threat. They say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation." There it is. The religious authorities want to defend the temple and the nation. They want to protect the sacred structures of their society. They're defending the institutions. As high priest Caiaphas makes it explicit, it is better for one man to die than for the whole nation to perish. Clearly, there is nothing new about religious leaders defending the institution from a perceived threat. Regardless of its theology, a religion tends to become embodied in its institutions. And defending those institutions can feel like defending your body. Organized religion becomes institutional religion. Jesus was killed by organized religion. For his entire life, Jesus challenged the structures of institutional religion. It was Jesus who taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus literally had nothing to defend. He had no temple, no stockpile of wealth, no land. The kingdom of Jesus is not of this world. Instead of defending the institution, Jesus stood alongside strangers and outcasts. He called us to nourish the new seeds of the Spirit. We should expect that new life will overgrow the sacred bunkers where we once took shelter. we should expect that new wine will require new wineskins. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. Then the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured in new wineskins. And no one, after drinking the old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Jesus knows that religion is prone to nostalgia. He knows that people will always tend to prefer the old wine. But Jesus calls us to reorient ourselves to something new, and it will always be new. Organized religion, by its very nature, will entrench and defend and control. But the work of the Spirit is renewal. God is always creating something new. The prophet Isaiah speaks these words on God's behalf. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The formal things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Be glad and rejoice in what I create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. How do we organize ourselves to be those people? How do we organize ourselves to follow the unexpected initiatives of God? to be ready, to be responsive. Earlier this week, a friend sent me a quote from Walter Brueggemann. He wrote, the community in its disarray is about to begin again. As it did the first time. It began the first time, and each time, because God takes an initiative and gathers folks together for oddness. God gathers together folk like us, rich and poor, liberal and conservative, willing and reluctant, slave and free, and bids all sign on for odd songs and hard commands. In that way, a community is formed like none other in the world. There is nothing here of arrogance or virtue or merit. Nothing here of despising outsiders or congratulating insiders. There is only an assurance that to be odd in the world is God's intention. this people. And now, this weak, exilic community must decide what to do with its oddness. How do we organize ourselves to be the odd and foolish people of God? How do we organize ourselves to be the first vanguard of God's new Jerusalem? How do we find hope not in our disorganization but by being organized in a way that no one ever saw coming? What will the neighbor say?